Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vori's IP VIP podcast. My name is Jeremy Harrison, and I will be your host for this episode. Our topic today is enforcing intellectual property rights in online marketplaces. Specifically, we're going to address enforcing patent rights on Amazon.com, the largest online retailer in the world. Amazon has introduced a handful of IP enforcement tools on its platform, and I've invited Tim Artizone of Vori's Cincinnati office to come on the show and discuss these tools and provide insight into how he has personally used these tools to help clients protect their rights. And now here's my conversation with Tim. I'm pleased to have with me today Tim Artizone, who's of counsel in the Cincinnati office of Voorhees Sadier, Seymour & Pees. He's also a member of the Voorhees E-Control Group. Tim has a Ph.D. in pharmacology from the Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center and received his J.D. from the University of Cincinnati College of Law. While Tim is familiar with patent and trademark prosecution and procurement, since I've known Tim, he's been involved with helping clients establish and maintain control of online pricing for branded products, which is one of the reasons I invited Tim on the podcast with me today. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm happy to be here. So one thing we've learned uh, from the recent pandemic is that we can order practically anything online, have it delivered to our homes, which is a phenomenal opportunity for companies to increase sales in online marketplaces. But also, adversely, it provides an opportunity for bad actors. For companies that own patents in particular, it can be especially difficult to see products that look like they infringe your patent sold by largely anonymous foreign entities. While the scenario can play out in many online marketplaces, I invited Tim onto the podcast today to, to discuss some of the options and advice he has for dealing with bad actors on Amazon as it relates to patents. And with that, um, Tim, let's get into it. Uh, before we get in, I, I want to ask a quick question maybe for background for everybody. Why should patent owners be vigilant about their patent rights being infringed on Amazon.com? Well, Jeremy, as you've already mentioned, uh, and the pandemic has made everyone even more aware. Uh, everyone is going online these days to buy products. And one of the first places people look when they're uh, shopping for products, whether it be in the store or online, is they go pull out their phone and look on Amazon. They pull out the Amazon app, and many times uh, they'll do a price comparison. They'll look at reviews. They'll really try to understand uh, you know, what it is about the product, or they'll try to learn more about the product um, on their phone Again, during a live shopping experience, either online or, or in the retail uh, setting. And, you know, Amazon is huge, right? They're the by far the largest e-commerce site in the United States. There's a st statistic that last year uh, they represented about 40% of all e-commerce in the, in, the, in the U.S., which is just massive. And so yeah. if a brand brands want to be careful, they should be aware of what's going on online and especially what's going on on Amazon with respect to their products and their intellectual property rights. Yeah, so I think I think some of these brands will be um, – it's advisable to – you've got this built-up goodwill. You've got the the possibility of brand devaluation, and a lot of these anonymous actors are uh, you know, from foreign countries that simply find a product and start publishing it and, and start selling it and marketing it in the United States. So it, we should be – brand brand owners should be vigilant of their patent rights because uh, they, can loss, they can lose a lot of market, uh, market uh, share if, if they're not uh, vigilant. So what makes Amazon.com appealing to potential patent infringers like copycats and counterfeiters? Yeah, well, there, there are several factors about Amazon in particular that make it so desirable. One, it's the largest e-commerce site in the U.S. Two, Amazon is very transparent with respect to product rankings, so it's really easy for uh, sellers out there, especially sellers of copycat and knockoff products, to identify products that are worth knocking off. Um, they tend to look for higher margin products um, that are doing really well, that are hot in that moment. Um, mm -hmm. 
And the other thing is there are a lot of tools out there. In fact, I came across one very recently that a client pointed to me, a plug-in on your uh, browser that will allow you to go to Amazon, um, look at products just by search products, by keyword searching. It will tell you what's the potential profitability index for these products. It will even have a link that will link you out to Alibaba or one of these other uh, B2B type sites or uh, B2 retailer type sites. Um, to, to find knockoff products that you can use in that category. So it's absolutely amazing and, and, and just very, makes it very, very easy for resellers to find these products. And then Amazon will take the product straight from shipment from right off the boat or right off the plane from, from overseas into their warehouses. So the sellers never have to inventory the product. Um, they can put it straight onto Amazon. They don't have to have a hiring marketing, te- marketing team or a sales force or uh, distribution centers or warehouses or anything. Amazon will do all of that for them. So it's very, very easy for uh, sellers to identify products to knock off, find products, and then to sell those on, on Amazon. Yeah, these tools are making it a lot easier, but it's also adversely uh, making it easier to infringe a patent, whether you know it or not. There are a lot of these actors out there that uh, that have that potential with new products. So before we get into what Amazon allows us to do or allows brand owners and patent owners to do to to report uh, patent infringement, why don't you walk us through what are some of the traditional ways that uh, that uh, people would typically uh, enforce their patent rights? Yeah, so there are two primary ways that people would enforce their patent rights. One is through district court litigation. That's a federal court case that uh, you know, tends to cost millions of dollars, one to two or maybe one to four million dollars. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the average price for a patent lawsuit. Um, those can take years to resolve. And they're just not only are they expensive, but they're time consuming for the brand, um, for the patent owner. And when it comes to discovery and and enlisting experts and just can take executives and inventors time, a lot of executive inventor time. So it's very just disruptive to the brand. Uh, the other enforcement mechanism is, is uh, the International Trade Commission investigation process um, that can be used to target products that are coming in from overseas that are affecting brands that have a U.S. presence um, beyond just selling their product in the U.S. Uh, again, very, very expensive, even more expensive than district court litigation, uh, maybe a little faster. And those tend to last 14 to 16 months. But again, all, both of these, the big drawback to both of these processes is that they take a lot of time and a lot of money. And when you're dealing with sellers on Amazon that can be largely anonymous, although Amazon requires some ID information, uh, we have, in our experience, we found that a lot of that information is just not valid. Um, in some cases, it's absolutely fraudulent. But uh, it, when you're enforcing against a number of different sellers, like you will see on Amazon, it's just cost prohibitive to try to enter into a patent a patent lawsuit against every seller that you're going to see on the marketplaces. Yeah, for for certain you know products, you could have dozens of uh, of sellers selling the same product and potentially infringing, and it just doesn't make financial and economic sense to go ahead and target each of them through a federal district court litigation or ITC investigation. So, fortunately, Amazon has provided a remedy to this, or at least some sort of avenue that uh, patent owners can pursue. In fact, there's three of them in particular. So, I want to get through those three today, and we do have an update, which we have the unique opportunity uh, on our program to kind of uh, give a breaking news, if you will, about an update that Amazon. 
Amazon uh, has provided in this process. But the three avenues that Amazon has provided are the report infringement form, the report of violation via Amazon's brand registry, and what's now known as the utility patent neutral evaluation pilot program, but which may be transitioning into something else, which we can get into. So let, let's start with the first one. But what, what, what can you tell us about the report infringement form and the logistics there? Yeah, so the report infringement form is Amazon's most basic uh, mechanism that intellectual property owners can use to report infringement of their IP. Um, it can be used by any patent owner or trademark owner or copyright owner who has uh, an Amazon.com account. So you don't need a special relationship with Amazon. Just an Amazon.com account is all you need. Again, it can be used for utility patents, design patents, trademarks, and copyright infringement. Um, you know, some of the cons with the report infringement form is that you're very limited on the amount of information you can give to Amazon. Uh, it's the the submission is limited to 1,000 characters. There's no opportunity for attachments. Uh, there's no opportunity to escalate, and this isn't really trackable. So it's kind of a you shoot it, uh, you, you submit this form to Amazon, and Amazon, uh, whoever at Amazon reviews these, which we don't know who that is, <laughs> it's a black box like a lot of things at Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, whoever reviews these will review it and make their their decision. I've used this form for design patent infringement, utility patent infringement, and trademark infringement, and some copyright infringement, and for the most part had very little success for anything other than trademark or copyright infringement. And even there, it's sketchy. Um, on the utility side, I've had zero success with a submission. And on the design side, I had success one time. So it's, it's not particularly helpful when it comes to the more complex and nuanced arguments that you have to make in a patent infringement type of uh, yeah. argument. Yeah, I, I, my experience is not uh dissimilar. I mean, I, I've had zero success. I've probably filed six or seven complaints on this up to this point, and um, each time it's been knocked down. And again, this black box, or we don't know what the algorithm is behind the scenes here, but uh, we get a response. Typically, I, I think my response was within 20 minutes and um, just simply said, no, we, we don't see any infringement here. But it was obvious that there were computer-generated emails. So I'm not sure what Amazon intends to prove with this. I guess the benefit is that you don't have to have a, a registered account with with Amazon. Anybody can typically uh, just put this through, but it, it has been, in my opinion, less than helpful. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, I would characterize it as Amazon's probably their first attempt at giving intellectual property rights owners a voice to report infringement. So it's definitely their most primitive tool <laughs> yeah. and likely the least uh, least helpful. Yeah, well, fortunately, they've gone on and they've given us other avenues uh, for brand owners to enforce their patents. And that's the, the report of violation via Amazon's brand registry. So um, why don't you talk a little bit about that? And first of all, what is brand registry? How do you become a member or get an account? Yeah, so brand registry is a program at, that Amazon instituted to give uh, intellectual property rights owners who have a registered trademark or an application in the U.S. for a registered trademark uh, to give them an opportunity to really protect their brand. And so it started out as primarily a mechanism for trademark enforcement to really to allow sell brands to go after counterfeiters um, and sellers using their copyrighted images and the like. And it's really kind of expanded into uh, being useful for uh patent infringement as well, um, both design and utility. It has a few uh, benefits to it that 
you make it a lot better than uh, the report infringement form. One is that if you, as long as you have this brand registry account, you can submit uh, the form through your brand registry account, which allows it to be trackable meaning you can see what is the status of your report and if your if your uh, report is uh, or your submission is rejected then or in amazon terms not accepted as opposed mm-hmm. to rejected then you can escalate it um, through the through your brand registry account and your escalated forms uh, allow you to give you some additional benefits so your initial submission is limited to 3000 characters which sounds short but i've actually been able to put together some pretty decent submissions within that character limit, certainly on design cases. Um, with utility patents, it can be a little more difficult if your claim is particularly long. But in my experience, the more argument you have to make, the less likely it is that Amazon's actually going to look at this and give you a, a, an accepted uh, decision anyway. But you do have 3,000 characters uh, in your initial submission. Again, if it's rejected or not accepted, then you can escalate it. And in your escalated submission, you have the benefit of including uh, attachments. And that can be particularly helpful on your design patent submissions um, because you can, can include claim charts in those attachments and also attach a copy of the patent. And in those claim charts uh, with design patents, it's especially powerful because you can have the side-by-side photographs of the of the product comparing it to your drawings and really be able to show again whoever it is on Amazon's side again we don't know cuz Amazon's a black box whoever's mm-hmm. reviewing on that side uh that the product actually infringes i've had pretty decent success with design patents enforcement through the brand registry submission less success with an initial submission with respect to utility patents um but Brand registry really is a gateway to the later um, types of uh, patent enforcement mechanisms that we'll be talking about in just a few minutes. Right. So I did want to parse the two out because I think with this, these updates that Amazon has just put forward, um, there is a significant difference now between if you're going to enforce a, a design patent or a utility patent. So first, the design patent. And I, I'll say this, and maybe you can comment on this also. So it's been my experience that uh, some of the responses you get, you've mentioned this black box. Amazon has some sort of algorithm. To be honest, they, I don't, I, to my knowledge, they haven't published anything. Who reviews, how it's reviewed. Uh, you know, the parameters of the review. I've had some responses where the exact product, except for, for color and for size, has been has been Amazon will come back and say, yes, that infringes. But the exact same product that only differs in color or size says, no, that does not infringe your design patent. So it's a nonsensical response there, which is really, really interesting how, how it goes through. And my it, it, when you escalate it, even providing arguments that, hey, you already said this product infringes. But now that's different in size and color. It doesn't infringe. It doesn't make any sense. That has been unsuccessful for me in that side. So we what's the response time, Tim, on, on um, for design patent? patent infringement uh, complaints for the through brand res- registry. Yeah, I mean, it could be extremely fast, so seconds, <laughs> or I've had some cases where I never got a response, but eventually the product just disappeared. Um, and so uh, it's, it, it, again, going back to that black box, uh, we really don't know how Amazon handles these on the backside. Uh, in mm-hmm. that case where I mentioned where, you know, I never got a response, uh, brand registry indicated that all of my submissions were not accepted. In that case, I actually ended up sending a letter to Amazon's legal department um, and working a back channel. And, and I think Amazon ended up removing the product based on that letter. Uh, but when sellers reached out, they were referring to a complaint ID that my record showed is not accepted. Yeah. Um, so it was it made for an interesting discussion at that point. 
Yeah, that, that's another point I wanted to get. When the, all the all of these avenues uh, have failed, and for in my example, for where you have a nonsensical response, actually contacting Amazon's headquarters with a hard copy letter has been successful. Once you get a, a person to read it and look at the discrepancies, um, we've we've had success that way. So I want to switch gears to the utility patent side because a lot of things have changed just recently in the last couple of weeks. In fact, um, whereas previously you would uh, you would submit a report of violation via brand registry. And uh, you would immediately get back an email from Amazon saying, here's a list of those sellers. Here's their email addresses. Try to work it out. Tim, what are the changes? What is Amazon now doing instead of that? Well, now whenever you uh, are submitting your patent infringement form, uh, report of violation form, at the very bottom of the uh, form, they've added uh, uh, a new series of buttons. So before it used to say, you're, right before you would sign the form or attach your email address to the form. Uh, it would ask you if you had any uh, a court order or an ITC order uh, that, that showed that, that similar products infringed your patent. Um, and if you didn't have one of these, then you just didn't click the box and you submitted the form. Um, now uh, you, you get asked if you have a court order, an ITC order, or an Apex ID, which is the breaking news that you were referring to earlier. Um, uh, and if you don't have any either of any of those three uh, orders, uh, then you have to click none of these, and and that none of these box then opens up an opportunity to, to apply basically to enter into this new Apex program. Um, but before that, that really wasn't an option. Before you uh, you would either if you didn't have a quarter or an ITC, you'd click none, you'd submit the form. Um, it would, again would go into Amazon's black box. Uh, you'd be asked. Um, more often than not, you would would not be accepted, uh, and then you would receive an email asking you to reach out to the the sellers and work out the issue with the sellers. And then you'd go back, send a cease and desist letter. May or may not have any success hearing from sellers. Um, after some period of time, uh, you'd go back to Amazon and say, "Hey, I've done what you said. I've tried to resolve this issue." Uh, you'd escalate saying this. I've tried to resolve these issues, um, and I'm still seeing infringement. Uh, we have to do something. And mm -hmm. that something was basically requesting an invitation to participate in the Amazon Neutral Evaluation Pilot Program, um, which we, again, now appears to be uh, replaced by this Apex program. But yeah. it was just a long, drawn-out, evolved process, really, that was all designed towards pushing brands and patent owners into this neutral evaluation procedure, which is not a bad thing. Um, I think the neutral evaluation procedure is, is good for patent owners and for accused sellers. But again, you've heard me say black box many times with respect to Amazon, but it was always a black box as to what hoops you had to jump through and how long it might take to actually get that invitation. Yeah. So in my what I've seen thus far from my – so APEX for our listeners stands for Amazon Patent Evaluation Express. Uh, Apex, so that, that's the acronym they're using. So it's, it's, it appears they're they're replacing the UPNEP, the Utility Patent Neutral Evaluation Pilot Program, with this Apex program. So and it, to, to Amazon's credit, they're making the system or the 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 process more uh, streamlined and it's more efficient, is what it looks like. I, we don't have much experience, if any, with this so far, but it, it appears that the same parameters and the same logistics for the Utility Patent Neutral Evaluation Pilot Program are applicable to the Amazon. On patent evaluation, uh, express the Apex program. So with that, let, let's walk through some of what's required under UPNEP Apex. 
uh, Tim, and let's let's um, let our listeners know what's required and what they can what can they they can expect out of this process uh, working through utility patent infringement. Yeah. So uh, as the name implies under the neutral evaluation uh, procedure, uh, Amazon's neutral evaluation procedure uh, gives both the brand owner and the sellers an opportunity to, to make their case before a neutral evaluator. So these neutral evaluators are patent attorneys, experienced patent attorneys somewhere in the U.S. who are not affiliated at all with Amazon. And so that that's one of the first big change that the UPNEP process introduced and that Apex seems to be carrying on um, is this neutral evaluation. To get into the procedure, um, on the Apex side, you have to give Amazon your patent that you want to enforce and your IP ownership information, so the corporation that owns it and any affiliates and, and, and the like. Amazon will then uh, review the patent and decide whether or not they're going to uh, give you an Apex ID number. Um, if you have that Apex ID number, then you can move more smoothly into these evaluations. Under the, under the UPNEP, as I mentioned before, you would have to get an invitation from Amazon to participate, which would be an email, which included an agreement to participate in the program with its, a couple of exhibits. An exhibit, one exhibit is for the patent owner and the other exhibit was for the sellers um, and also a procedure that outlined how that process would take place. There are a couple of key notes, key important things in that agreement uh, that that uh, Amazon would had both parties or all parties execute. One of those is you're agreeing to not sue Amazon for infringing the patent on any products that you're accusing. Some of the other key features are that the information learned is intended to be kept confidential. Um, and that there's no appeal process. Um, Amazon, uh, the neutral evaluator will make their decision uh, based on briefing, which we'll talk about a little bit more in just a minute. Um, but they'll make on the briefing from the parties, and, and that's it. Once the uh, briefing is complete and the decision is made, that uh, that that's uh, that's going to determine how Amazon acts. And the decisions are either the patent owner is likely to improve infringement by a product sold um, on Amazon, or they're not likely to prove infringement. And if they're likely to prove infringement, then Amazon will remove those listings. If they're not likely to approve infringement, Amazon will not take any action against those sellers. Um, one of the one of the big things, though, with this process um, in, in our experience and Jeremy, I know you've had similar experience as well as well, is that a lot of sellers don't want to go through this process, especially these smaller sellers that are buying product off Alibaba who aren't really that invested in, in the product that they're selling. Um, it's not worth it to them to go through the process. And one of the reasons for that is at the very beginning of the process, each side has to put up a four thousand dollar evaluation fee. Um, and that's a deposit, essentially, that's going to pay the evaluator for conducting the evaluation. And the winner of the process gets their $4,000 back, and the loser of the process, $4,000 goes to the evaluator. And if you have more than one seller that's a loser, then any excess above that $4,000 goes to some Amazon charities. So there's like this kind of big pay-to-play fee. Um, it's not necessarily big if you're a big entity or a big uh, brand, uh, it can be a large fee if you're just a small seller who bought a pallet of infringing products off Alibaba and had it delivered to Amazon. Um, right. So we find that you can weed out a lot of sellers right at the front end, um, and that, that fee is 
quite frankly, helpful with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll comment on that. I mean, when you send out that initial exhibit, essentially, you're, you've put you've ponied up your side of the money. Amazon will go to those sellers and say, hey, uh, they're, they've got this infringement complaint against you. Are you willing to participate? A lot of these sellers are just they're small shops. Um, a lot of them are foreign nationals in China. Um, that they just found a product that was that looked pretty cool. They wanted to sell it. They started selling it. They don't want the legal hassle, and they just cave. And so most of them, it's been my experience. They'll just they'll just fold at this point right here, even before you get into the briefing, which you're you're about to jump into. Yeah, and 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 Amazon, if if you don't participate, agree to participate in the program, and or pony up to four thousand dollars, Amazon will remove those sellers' listings. So they won't remove necessarily the ASIN, but they'll remove listings off of the ASIN, um, offers off of that ASIN. Um, mm-hmm. And an ASIN, for those of you who may not be familiar, is just Amazon's designation for each product listing. All right. Oh, so go ahead. Go ahead, Jerry. No, it's just good. Go, let's go ahead and walk through that briefing process. There, there is a uh, legal arguments to be made and legal arguments to be refuted on the seller side. So walk us through that real quick. Yeah, so real quick, the the – the patent owner uh, has to make the case that each ASIN that they're targeting, and they can target up to 20 in evaluation application, um, that each ASIN that they're targeting uh, infringes the patent. They are given – basically, the patent owner has 20 pages for all of their briefings, so they have an initial brief. The sellers each get 15 pages to re- respond to that brief, and then the uh, patent owner, if they have any pages left from their 20, so typically you'd file 12 to 15 pages in your initial brief, um, then they, you could use the balance of your pages to, re- to reply back to the uh, uh, to the sellers, to their arguments. Um, uh, importantly, exhibits don't count in those page numbers, so your claim charts, uh, copies of the patent, photographs, whatever you have, additional evidence like that, declarations not, aren't, aren't really going to be very helpful here uh, for the most part, um, but those don't count towards your page limits. Yeah. What, what about what about defenses? What can a seller actually uh, provide as a defense? Great question. One of the huge benefits for patent owners is that the seller's defenses are limited to non-infringement, court order, or patent office holding that that the patent is either unenforceable or invalid, um, or uh, that the product or that the product that they're selling or an identical product that they're selling was available and sold online and typically on Amazon more than one year prior to the filing date of the application. Yeah. So essentially a, a seller can't say, well, you've got an invalid patent. You have an unenforceable patent. That 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 defense is non-existent here. Non-existent here unless they have a court order saying it. And there's also no discovery, which is Great. When it comes to uh, for anyone who's ever been involved with a lawsuit, uh, that's where the money, big money is actually spent. So there's there's no discovery that that's that's a that's a big benefit as well. OK, so seller and and uh, uh, patent owner have filed their briefs. Everything's before the evaluator. Where do, where do we go from from there? The patent owner has 21 days to submit their opening brief. The sellers are given 14 days to respond, and then the patent owners have another seven days to reply. If the patent owner chooses not to reply, then 14 days after the last submission or that, or 14 days after the patent owner tells the evaluator that they're not, they're not going to reply, then the, the evaluator will issue their decision. So it's a very quick process. We're talking a matter of weeks to months for this process to play out from beginning to end as opposed to litigation, which can take literally years. Yeah. I mean, to summarize this, it, from start to finish, there's a $4,000 buy-in for the patent owner. 
And from very, very beginning, when you, you, you submit your first complaint under the UPNEP, which I assume is going to be the same under APEX, you have about 90 days to get a final decision um, if everything goes and everybody files and, and, and the evaluator has their full amount of time to review. So that's about 90 days, but it's likely going to be less because not, not everybody files on their the last day uh, that is required. So 90 days, $4,000, that's a pretty good deal again, compared you know, when you're comparing it to district court litigation or ITC complaints. Absolutely. And I've had clients be very, very happy with the results of how quickly and efficiently we were able to get rid of a lot of really problematic ASINs um, that were infringing their patents. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, to uh, I want to mention one thing, and you might have some others uh, about APEX. I think is the, the difference between the UPNEP and what we see on APEX. There is a brief write up that Amazon has provided online, and one thing they mentioned that is interesting to me is they say, "quote Extremely technical utility patents may not be eligible for APEX." Close quote. And that's something that always worried me on the UT, on the UPNEP is that what if you get the super complex patent? You've got a, an evaluator who uh, has paid four thousand dollars to come up to speed completely and provide a, a, a essentially a legal opinion. Now I think Amazon has learned from you know the past and they, they've kind of refined and said we're not going to take these extremely technical utility patents. We're gonna we're gonna put it down to a smaller scale. The evaluators are gonna are gonna come up to speed. They'll be able to you know make it worth their while, if you will, for $4,000. Is there anything else you've seen, Tim, that, the, that that we should point out? That does lead into a couple of really key points and some advice that we, we try to give when we're, you know, counseling clients with respect to, you know, any type of evaluation on Amazon. And that is the more simple your claim is, the better. The more black and white you can make it, the better. Amazon does not do well with nuance. Evaluators will do better with nuance. But the best type of claim to assert in um in, in my opinion, is going to be a device claim that is very clear. ABC is what's claimed. ABC is what's in the is is what's in the accused device. Um, when you start getting into compositions and things like that, I always had the same concern. I never had to actually enforce a patent like that on Amazon. Mm -hmm. I did see one time uh, a, a case uh, from a colleague where the, the patent that was asserted was a control system and some type of electronic device. But again, even that one was relatively simple. It wasn't one of these, you know, two page long claims that had a lot of nuance to it. So black and white is the way to go. As close yeah. to black and white as you can get is the way to go on Amazon. Agreed. Last question. We're, we're running out of time here, Tim, but I did want to uh, get your advice, get your counsel on what are the risks? If a patent owner um, wants to enforce a patent, are there risks of trying to enforce it on Amazon? Yeah, there are two big risks. Uh, one is getting hit with a declaratory judgment action. Um, I've seen that, uh, uh, you know, that you're at a greater risk of a seller defending themselves by going to a district court and asking that court to declare that they don't infringe your patent. If the product you're targeting is that brand's, you know, key product, right? So if they're, mm -hmm. if they're a competitor that's sitting out there and they've built a brand around, you know, Whatever it is, they've built their own independent brand around it. Your best to try to kill that early. That's always the case. But um, especially when it comes to Amazon, because they're more likely to have the resources and the willingness and the need to fight back to salvage their business. And then the other thing that you'll see in retaliation is basically a challenge to your patent's validity at the patent office. So a re-exam or a, 
uh, inter partes review challenge where, you know, the, where they try to kill your patent off, um, which that's going to happen if you're asserted against a, a big entity who's this is their lifeblood, right? Uh, again, most smaller sellers, it's not worth it to them to, to go through that expense or that effort. So one of the key pieces of advice is, you know, choose your targets carefully, right? Um, understand the risks that you that you have going into it. Uh, know that if you're going after a brand's bread and butter or their $10 million product or whatever it is, they're going to be much more likely to, to put up a fight and just be prepared for it. Evaluate your patent. Make sure there's no obvious 102 issues that are sitting out there or enforceability issues if you get pulled into a deck action. Um, make sure that, you know, try to assert that your, your strongest IP, uh, and, and just be prepared for the fight if you, if you have to get into it because it does happen, but, you can choose your targets carefully and, and limit that risk as much as possible. It's great advice, Tim. I will also mention, I think it's good, good advice to understand that what happens in the Amazon evaluation has no effect on what you can do later. You can actually file suit later. Do you have any comments on that? Absolutely. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that. I actually have a client, an, an overseas client, uh, who's very concerned about potential estoppel effects from this procedure. And Try as I might to address that concern for them, but there, there's zero estoppel. This is a, it's not even the level of a private arbitration here. Uh, it's a, an evaluation that has no real legal effect outside of the Amazon sphere. You are absolutely free and Amazon puts it in their agreement and their procedure that you're absolutely free to go to the courts if you lose and get, try to get the opposite decision and Amazon will honor that. So if you lose, if you're a seller and you're found to infringe, if you can go to a court and get a court to say you don't infringe or that the patent's unenforceable or invalid, then Amazon will relist your products. And yeah. the flip side, if, if, if the evaluator says you're not likely to prove infringement and you can go to a court and get a court to say there's infringement, Amazon will remove those products. Yeah. All right. Tim, thanks for your time today. It's been uh, quite helpful information for patent owners who are active on Amazon or, or thinking about being active on Amazon. Uh, we do certainly appreciate your insight, and I encourage our listeners to reach out to Tim if you have any questions about patent enforcement on Amazon. Thanks again, Tim. Yep. Thank you, Jeremy. 